few weeks back, I talked about the pursuit of knowing Christ and how in every Christian life, uh, we are called to have this ongoing, lifelong, all-consuming pursuit of knowing Jesus. And without it, without this active searching for Jesus, our life isn't really locked into the source of freedom, the source of power which makes Christianity work so well. Uh, we can be doing all sorts of great stuff for God, we can be representing Him well, but if we've lost track of this ongoing pursuit of Jesus, uh, the Christian life begins to kind of stagnate. And so, uh, it's a basic truth of Christianity, and we can be extreme, thank you, extremely frustrated if we, if we try to do this thing without this search of God, of, of Jesus. And so, uh, we do this, we search for Jesus in different ways. We, uh, read the Gospels. These are the biographies which give us the clearest picture of who Jesus was and, and is. So we read the Gospels. We try to understand him in our or in his first century context, kind of understanding him, him in his day and place. That's part of it too. But we also encounter him in prayer, in ongoing prayer, seeking after his presence. And so uh, this is a, a basic kind of point about Christianity. But as I told you last time, and I'll, I'll reiterate again today, that thought isn't finished yet. And the, and the basic question of what makes the Christian life work, because I think maybe you have had the experience where maybe it stops working, or you feel like it's stopped working. And so what makes it work? It's this ongoing pursuit of knowing Jesus, but that's not the end of it. There's one more thing that we have to talk about, and it is having to do with the transformation of our hearts. So, uh, a little disclaimer today. Uh, what I'm going to present today is part of an ongoing project that I've been working on. I've been thinking about these things for a long time, uh, but this is the first time I've put them in sermon form. So, uh, I'm excited to, to share them with you today. And so, uh, because of that, uh, I don't know if it's going to be rusty or not, it should be good. Uh, and I, might, I might be doing a little more reading from this than I, I normally do. And my daughters told me, because I was telling about this, they said, Dad, you just got to stop. <laughs> if, it, like, if it hits a time, you just stop wherever you're at. So, <laughs> I've got 10 pages here, which is far more than I normally have. I'm not going to preach them all. Um, we'll, we're just going to see how this comes out. So you guys get the first sort of inside this. And when it's, you know, this comes into a number one New York Times bestselling book, you'll, yeah. you'll feel it. I'm excited because this idea of, of knowing Jesus plus heart transformation, when those, these two things are happening at the same time, this is when Christianity really works. And when they're not happening, we can feel it. We can feel it, the frustration um, and feel kind of the void. And so uh, the questions that I'm kind of approaching in this, the questions that I'm trying to answer have something to do with this. Why do some people have, seem to have an easier time with faith than others? For some people it's easy and it kind of it comes out of them other. They really struggle with believing. Why do some people make it through crises with a stronger faith? And others seem to buckle under the weight of it all. Why does that happen? How can we explain that? What was it about people like the Apostle Paul that allowed him to find joy in the suffering? And you remember this Philippians verse? In every situation I have learned the secret to becoming content, whether in plenty or in want. He's saying, I can have all the, the, the resources I, I, I can have in the world and have plenty, but when I'm in want and things are struggling and I don't know where the next paycheck's coming from, I, I can become content. But what is the secret, Paul? What is that secret of contentment? Why can't we just sit down and do Bible studies and get back to the basics of passionate faith? 
why do you, um, or other questions that kind of come to my mind that are similar, like why do people who spend years preaching the Bible, some pastors um, recently have come out to talk about this, why do they spend years preaching the Bible, but then lose their faith? Um, why are some Christians so filled with the love of Christ, and why are other Christians just plain mean? You know, these are the questions which I'm kind of kicking around and uh, trying to answer through this idea that there's something else which happens in the Christian life other than the pursuit of knowing Jesus. It's essential. You have to do it. But this something else has to do with the transformation of our heart. And the best place that I know to get at all of this is uh, a parable that Jesus once told. And as I do so, as I unpack this parable and talk about heart transformation, my goal in all of this is to show you that the pursuit of knowing Christ plus this heart transformation is not a duty or a chore or an add-on kind of thing. I'm not trying to like heap guilt. If you're starting to feel guilt from this, because it's another thing to do, like uh, I'm not I'm not communicating well. But when we when we are in this transformative relationship with Christ, it's like breathing the freshest air for the first time. It's like being washed with the purest of water. So let's dig into this parable and see what comes to them. This is from Luke chapter 8. Well, a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on. The birds ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than it was sown. It's beautiful simplicity from the mind of Jesus. His disciples were like, Toss more Jesus. When he, when he said all this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to put that slide up yet. <laughs> Come back to him. <laughs> we kind of get our backs up right here when, when Jesus talks about and says this. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, this is like, it brings up the question, you know, like, are some people just gifted with faith better than others? Or is God showing favoritism? He's like, you, you, some of you might hear and, and you have ears to hear. Some of you just don't have ears. And that's your problem and deal with it. You know, and it kind of feels like, is God showing favoritism? Is he like, is he just, is he kind of, I don't know, mean-spirited, like, I'm, Jesus is saying here, I'm teaching you the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for other people, I'm going to throw them off the scent of the kingdom by speaking in parables. I'm going to, I'm going to specifically make sure they don't understand. That's what Jesus is saying. And it does make us feel, especially for those of us who struggle with faith, it's not, it doesn't come easy, or who are going through some hard stuff, it, it makes us feel like, is, Jesus, is this mean-spirited, Jesus? Are you just out to sort of mess with us? And we can begin to feel, especially in times of deep turmoil, that God is out to mess with us. But this is not what's happening here, I assure you. 
I, I assure you that this is coming, um, if, if we read the parable in its full, if we understand what Jesus is saying, he's talking about something essential, about the tending of our hearts, the tending of our heart transformation. So here's a little heart. I have a son named Ethan. He's 10 years old. That's not Ethan, that's me. 10 months. 10 months. Yeah, okay. Someone corrected me on that the other day. He's 10 months. This is me. This is me as a little, I guess, 10 month year old when I was just getting going in life. Um, and ready to experience all sorts of things that were going to happen. Um, I, I had a pair of grandparents that I loved dearly, and um, I would go over to my grandma's house, and they would have this this great sort of. Uh, she, she, I think she wore a wig, so I would pick her wigs. Look <laughs> <laughs> over there, little guy has no idea what the world's about to hit him with. <laughs> so he was in, in sixth grade. Come on, a little bit. About this age, when I was in sixth grade, I went through an experience that rocked my world just deeply at my core. My grandmother, whose wig that was, um, she was diagnosed with brain cancer. And uh, we, we didn't know it at the time, but she was degenerating. She was kind of losing uh, her, her motor functions and uh, she, she was losing her speech. And I remember sitting at dinner one Sunday night when she was, we were all sitting around as a family, and she was um, trying to eat, but she couldn't hold her fork. It just kept, she, couldn't, she didn't have the motor skills. She kept losing her fork. And everyone was kind of like, okay, something's wrong here. Something's happening. And so uh, I was out, I think it was, this is 95, so it was the year before. Uh, I was out in New Jersey, as we did every summer, uh, and we heard, got word that the doctors had found the tumor in her brain. It was quite large, and, but they were going to go for it anyway. They were going to try to operate. And they operated on her, and she never woke up from it. Uh, I mean, she woke up while she was awake, but not awake. And so she spent 14 months in coma as we as a family walked through that. And, uh, you know, I talked to my, my dad now, who was part of the decision-making process. And, you know, he's like, I, you know, my, my father, my grandfather, and he, they kind of wished that they would have just let her go at that point. Because it was 14 months of excruciating pain. Will she wake up? Will she get better? Will she come out of this? And uh, she didn't. But it was just during this time, it was in, in maybe month 13, that at school I was going through another just terrible life experience. All of my friends were in the mix. They were just about to um, reject me deeply. And what I mean by that is that like, they, would, they, they chose, they decided that I wasn't someone that they wanted to be in the group anymore. Friends that I've had since preschool, friends that I had playdates with and sleepovers with, friends that I would had played basketball with. Um, sixth grade, they just decided, no more. We don't want Keith. And it, it had to do with a, a new kid who was cool and came in and just decided they didn't like him. So one day at recess, they would just run away from me. I'd run after them. They'd run away. I mean, it was a literal rejection. And I remember this girl, Tracy Silers, said, Keith, don't you understand? They don't want to be your friend anymore. It was, boom, hit me like a ton of bricks. And all of a sudden, I was without friends without friends completely in the world. I had no friends whatsoever. And my grandmother was, you know, in the situation. It was an awful, awful time. And I remember something began to sort of get twisted in me. Something got defensive. Something got hardened. Edges started to sharpen that weren't there before. I was not maybe as good or maybe as honest as I had been in the past. It's my first 
real encounter with the world being alien and unsupportive. But it wasn't really until I started pursuing Jesus about three years later that those things began to get touched again. I remember I was, I, had, I was dating a girl at the time, three years after this, and I remember that I couldn't even open up my heart and speak what was on my heart without physically shaking. And sometimes even today when I'm in vulnerable situations, I will physically shake up, just there. Like that's how deeply this experience affected me. And so, you know, when, when I come across people in this world who have been rejected or have gone through terrible things, my heart just very deeply feels for what they're going through. Um, but I started pursuing Jesus. And I wasn't fixed overnight. Um, but he began getting in there, in those deeper places, and began shedding light. And when we become disciples of Jesus, when we open our hearts to his light, something begins to happen and we get filled with life. And I think that this is what this is about. We have to attend to our spirits at this level. We can, we can know all about God, we can know all about the verses we want, it's good. We can pray all we want, but until we attend to our hearts at these depths, Christian life doesn't really begin to work, as it should. And so, um, I mean, think, think of Jesus' as friends saying, okay, you're telling us secrets, there's these, there are these four kinds of fields and different crops. Um, Tell us what this means. And Jesus goes on to say to them, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you, but others I speak in parables, that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. But this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are like ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a good crop. The thing that really begins to interest me here as Jesus explains his parable is that it's about the heart. It's about the formation of a noble and good heart. And all that can happen at the heart level of humanity, um, which is not exemplified by nobility and goodness. Um, and the, the formation of our hearts is a major theme in the scriptures. You know, as we read through the scriptures, you'll hear the word heart come up over and over again. Um, so I'll the scene. So, there we go. Um, the psalmist in Psalm 33 puts it this way, From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all humankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. We get this picture from Jesus' parable and the psalmist standing right in the background that we have this God, active God who is working on our hearts, who's trying to form them to be noble and good. I mean, the heart, is, it's a massive theme in Scripture. It teaches us that we have this core part of us um, that's not just emotion, not just logic, but a combination of emotion and receptivity. Uh, Jesus elsewhere teaches that the heart's like a container. It can be filled with evil things, or it can be filled with good things. 
and out of the evil of a heart comes the evil of humanity, or out of the goodness of the heart comes the goodness of humanity. And so, um, we can go on and on about the, the Bible. Ezekiel tells us that we should not harden our hearts if God comes and encounters us. Don't harden your hearts today, or our hearts can become like stone, or they can become like flesh, and Jesus and the early Christians pick up on that imagery too. Now, there's so much uh, that has to do. Uh, the author of Hebrews um, talks about, um, in chapter, chapter 5 and 6, how our hearts can become so hard that if we, if we are believers and we harden our hearts internally away from God, it can be very, very difficult to, to turn that situation around. Though not impossible, um, very difficult. So it's, it's a hard teaching, but the heart is a huge part of Christian teaching, a huge part that we sometimes forget about, that we need to ongoingly tend to this place in us. Um, we kind of get at this too, in, in, in remembering that the disciples followed Jesus for three years. You know, they, they heard his teachings, they kind of got his sense of who he was, but at the end, they didn't have the heart to stay with him. You can know Christ, you can follow him for a long time, but they lost heart. And Jesus said of them at that time that either your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. By which he meant to say, you really want to follow me, but there's something weak about you that needs to be strengthened if you're going to make it, if you're going to follow me where I'm taking you. It's why Peter, after he was empowered with the Holy Spirit, if you remember this story, Peter and, and Paul both began eating with Gentiles, which was a no-no. They were the wrong kind of people to eat with. But they started eating with them because they believed Jesus' love began inspiring them to cross those boundary, boundary lines and bring the heart of God to the people who had been told by the Jewish people that, that they didn't have access to God. So Peter and Paul began eating with them, but Peter lost heart and he, he, he lost his way. And he stopped eating with them because he was being bullied by other Christians. You remember that story? And Paul confronted him saying, you've lost heart. It's, that, that's the difference. You can follow, you can follow Jesus up into by giving your life to Him, you can you can um, be empowered by the Holy Spirit. But there are moments where we realize that we still need something else, and it's this tending of the heart. It's why Paul and Barnabas had a falling out after they'd been Christian for many years. It's why Martin Luther King Jr., one of my heroes, why he had such a powerful ministry and changed so much in this world. But what was his what was the real reason why the CIA had on him, do you remember the story? He had, he had mistresses, he had affairs, and it was this dirty secret that he had. So how do we explain this? How do we explain these passionate, amazing disciples who still have hard work to do? They haven't attended to these places in their hearts. Um, the best metaphor I can come up with is this, as I try to get up this idea. It's like, okay, so imagine that we're following Jesus, just on a road. He's walking ahead of us. We're taking step after step, and we're, we're beginning to learn his ways, learn his teachings, kind of get, guess where he's going to move, um, and, and we're keeping our eyes on him. But all along the way, we're doing other things. We're eating food. We're sleeping. We're taking showers, hopefully. Um, we're tending to something else. And without eating, without sleeping, without showering, um, it doesn't matter how much we want to follow Jesus. We will eventually just slow down and die. So, yes, this ongoing pursuit of Jesus, it's essential. But there's this hard stuff going on as well. And uh, the parable, after all, that Jesus is telling is about farming. 
It is about seed and soil and tending and making sure that it's good soil. And if you're a second-rate gardener at all, you know that it takes work to garden. Um, and so let's let's just finish off today. I mean, I'm going to dive into this parable as deep as I can and give you some points. And again, this is kind of a work in progress. So there's not not a lot of practical to-dos, not a lot of advice at the end of this. I'll let you kind of uh, take away what you will from this. Uh, hopefully I can keep developing this and can, in conversation with you, you can let me know what's, what's working for you. Uh, but let's dig into this. The sower of seeds. Okay, so we have seeds, which is the word of God. That's what Jesus... So remember, Jesus tells this parable to everyone and then he explains it to his disciples when they're asked, what does this mean? Tell, you know, this, there has to be something more to this, Jesus. And the way that we get it, that the truth in this parable, is that we listen to both his parable teaching and we listen to his interpretation and we listen carefully and align up as much as possible to see what Jesus is saying. So he tells us that the seeds that are being scattered around are the word of God. He tells us, so there's so the seeds, word of God, I'm just going to build this up for us. He says, some seeds fell on a path, which were trampled on, and the birds of the air ate them up. He explains that the path is like those who have heard. The birds are the devil, and the birds taking the seed, the word of God. The devil takes the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved. Because this image of the word of God coming to their hearts, and it never really penetrates into for For some reason, the, the Satan comes and takes it away. So here's that. Let's add this on here. Some seeds fell on rock as it grew withered without moisture. Some seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with them, and it is choked by them. So, again, on the rock, those who hear the word and receive it with joy, they grew. That means they believed for a time, but they had no root. There's a problem. They didn't grow roots. And so they withered. In a time of testing, they fall away. When troubles come, when hard times come, because of their roots, they couldn't get the moisture, and they fall away. Um, the thorns are like those who hear. They grew, and that means they went on their way, and they're choked. And Jesus gets explicit here. They're choked by cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And the fruit does not mature. Uh, and to finish off this here, some fell on good soil. The good soil is hearing the word, and it grew. That means they held fast with an honest and good heart, and it produced a hundredfold. They bear fruit with patience and endurance. So you see there's not like a direct one-to-one -one correlation. And you've got to really listen to what's going on. Jesus tells us, if you have ears, hear. It means you've got to seek after this. So if you take away everything but the right column, here's kind of the story we get. There's this thing called the Word of God. It comes to us to help us hold fast and honest and a good heart. All sorts of people experience this ministry of encouragement that and love of God that he offers to us abundantly and regularly. I mean, think about this, seed being scattered. It's just God's love and encouragement, his word to us coming upon us, regularly, abundantly. But there's also other factors out there, like a devil, who wants to take away God's encouragement and love from us so that we might not give in to God and be made whole. Some people respond to God's presence and ministry in their lives with excitement, and they're believers for a time, but they didn't put the roots down deep into the soil. And then when they went through a time of crisis, they fell away from God. Others hear God's stirrings in them and are so caught up with anxieties and responsibilities and the pursuit of pleasure and riches that they trample on what God is trying to do in them. And they stay like spiritual infants 
acting childish in their grown-up pursuits. But others are receptive to this ministry of God's hearts, on our hearts, and their heart turns good and honest, and they start to change. And when crises come, they hold fast, patiently, resiliently, they endure all that life asks of them. See, it's a beautiful little picture. It's so straightforward from the start, but it says so much. It's why and Jesus was a brilliant teacher. Can you imagine if we never had this little story, how much poorer we'd be? So just a, just a few observations here. Um, the first is this Word of God idea. So many of us equate the Word of God with the Bible, which the Bible never does itself. The Word of God is something that we believe is living and active. We get it from the prophets. The Word of God came to Isaiah the prophet. The Word of God came to Ezekiel. It's, uh, these words, this activity of God coming to people gets written down into stories and into narratives and into letters. And, and God breathes on these, the writing of these things. And we have a, a group of texts which we believe are inspired. But the Word of God is something much, uh, it's not different, but it's, it's, it's not the same thing as the Bible. So uh, when we think about the Word, it, it's, Jesus is telling us it's, it's like a seed. It's like stuff that goes out regularly in order to nourish us, to give us God's love. And so, uh, kind of tending to our hearts, point one here, tending to our hearts, requires us to be made open and receptive and ready to receive the graces of God's activity in our lives. We've got to do something to tend this place so that it doesn't close itself off in the heart to the ongoing, everyday, abundant, word which is coming to us. Now, when we read the scriptures in a certain way, slowly with um, meditation and, and pondering them, the word of God of the Bible becomes the living word for us. And when that happens, sparks, fireworks oftentimes do happen, um, the, the Bible becomes the word of God for us. So, anyway, all that to say, just the word of God is, is like a seeds which come to us, and we've got to tend our hearts and make them ready for these graces. Um, it's a beautiful little picture of the, the parable. So the Word of God is like the seed which comes onto the soil of our hearts. Now, the next thing that is interesting to me uh, about this whole scenario uh, are these birds and these <coughs> thorns. Uh, it's not such an unhostile environment that these words hit. There are uh, forces, beings, the devil, which Jesus talks about, which oppose this process. Uh, so, some uh, group or uh, set of minds which is out after uh, this word coming on our hearts. And this, this devil will come and take and steal and destroy and make sure that the encouragement and love of God doesn't given to us. This is a hostile and harsh environment. There's devils and there's thorns that will choke us. Um, but this rootless plant, here we go. Do you see the difference between the abundant crop, which is wrong here, and kind of the thin and rootless? This is, looks like my garden this year. <laughs> We're getting some tomatoes, but that's about it. Um, Jesus says that this is like a heart that has no root and it withers. That's an interesting idea of the root. Like, I, 
I don't know if you're a gardener or not, but I've done this many times where I've got this much soil and it's started planting, and I've not paid attention to it, I haven't tended to it, and all of a sudden its head, its neck is like this long and its leaf is this long. That's, a plant's not going to live like that, unless you're a really good gardener. Um, those kind of seeds at the very beginning as they grow and as they form their roots down into the soil need lots of tending to make sure there's enough soil so their roots can go down. I love this beautiful imagery of roots because it gets out a lot for us. It, we need to get our roots into Jesus, into who he is and what he's about. Again, knowing him, knowing uh, who God is. But, we all, but there's something else going on here as well, which I'm illustrating. Roots are like, uh, it takes a while, right? It takes a while for roots to go down into soil. It takes a while for them to grow deep. And roots are like our tradition, our faith tradition, which have been growing for 2,000 years. Like um, our, you know, our, um, our, the roots of our faith tradition are strong and sturdy. They will get us through all sorts of trials. Um, but the problem with our world today, the problem with uh, many uh, churches and many traditions is that uh, they forgot just how strong our faith tradition is. And so rather than sticking with it, sticking with our faith tradition, they've uprooted themselves completely from the faith tradition and put themselves in there and <coughs> transplanted themselves. And if you know anything about uprooting roots and transplanting them into other soil, you're going to get a sick plant unless you really, really know what you're doing. And I, and I think about this, I think about the solidity of our faith tradition, the, how, how many storms in, in this world it has weathered, and just how firm it is. And some people, because they realize that there are problems, which there are problems with our tradition, rather than weeding and pruning off dead branches, they think they just gotta pull themselves up completely and find something better. And I worry about this, I worry because I see folks who've got, they develop this sort of, their leaves are yellow, they're not, they're, they've withered a little bit. There's a, a soul sickness which has come over them. And, and it's not because, well, maybe they put the roots down in something completely different. Um, we can talk about that in a minute. But it's because they've uprooted it all. If they pull up the roots, and rather than pruning, they've just been uprooted and tried something else. And I, you know, again, I'm all for the prophetic work of Chris, our Christian community. And the, the reasons why I think people are doing this work is because they realize that there's enough wrong with the tree as it's growing. And it has to do to me, my interpretation is um, there have been so many uh, uh, inhuman forms of Christianity that have been propagated and exist out there that we think, oh, that's not what I want. That's not what I want. Um, any, anything that, that takes our humanity out of the equation. And again, I, I could go into that for hours. Uh, but my point I'm trying to make today is about roots. Our root system is strong, and we do have to do some pruning, we do have to do some weeding. Um, but let's understand that if we uproot ourselves out of our faith tradition completely, we're probably going to really struggle as we try to put roots down elsewhere. And the truth about this is that rootless people cannot make it through trials. That's just the reality of it. You know, we, we need roots, and when the hard times come, if we don't have them, Jesus says, we fall away. So, putting roots down, what does that mean? I think it both means on, on our own, putting our roots down into our, uh, into our Lord, into Jesus, into the heart of God, and to start understanding, but it also means 
at a certain level that we recognize and we understand how firm Christianity is to get us through the worst of times. So more to be said than that. I'm just throwing this out there like seeds. Um, we need something, we need roots to, to get us through a time of trial. And, and the more that we go in this process of, you know, we think we need to make new traditions, right? We're like, well, if it's not that one way, I'm going to completely redo the whole thing. And the more that we do that, and the world tells us to do that all the time. Like, reinvent yourself. Go and you know, reinvent yourself every three months. You know, it's just the world we live in. It's telling us to, to just reinvent, reinvent. And the more that we do that, I think the sicker we become. And again, I'm not saying not to explore. I'm not saying not to ask hard questions about our faith. I'm just saying rootless people struggle through times of trial. And if we're going to get through the times of trial, we have to have a profound sense that life is meaningful. We have to have a profound sense that there's something more going on under the surface than meets the eye. We have to understand that saying yes to God through situations and experiences which seem like the worst things for us, saying yes to God underneath of it all, is the only way we make it through the hardest of times. And Christianity and the way of Jesus gives us that profoundly. So roots, roots in... Um, I don't have time to talk about thorns. <laughs> I've got roots, otherwise this is how we're going to feel and look. Thorns, though. Um, I might just speak about this at a different time. But I think you, you all sort of, like, you all kind of maybe get the point. It's, it's, a, it's a very straightforward teaching. That there are, there are traditions that we can get into in this day and age, like the pursuit of materialism or the pursuit of self-sufficiency, or this hookup culture, which is in every Netflix movie, in every billboard, and uh, tells us that our only meaning in life can be found when we find that one sexual partner who fulfills us. Like, it's a strong tradition. And if we've gotten our roots up out of Christianity into that pot, I can tell you, you're going to be choked. Okay, so there's all sorts of these things which we can put our roots in around us. And, and the more that we let in these other kind of stimuli and narratives and, and, and traditions that aren't, aren't our faith tradition. I mean, Christianity has so much to say about sex and power and uh, love and uh, money. But if we put ourselves in the wrong tradition, which, which so, the potential is so much there to do, uh, again, it's like we're going to be choked. Okay, I've got so much more to say. Um, I'll just finish with, with a couple of thoughts. Um, one... Jesus' promise has to do with heart formation. This isn't, again, about favoritism or about him loving us more or finding more favor with God. This is a promise that as we remain in him, he will remain in us. And there's abundance and freedom and hope and life in him. So our, our goal is to bear fruit, to be vibrant, alive, fruitful people, and we can get into what this means for us. But I just want to invite us, as we go about our days, as we go about our lives, as we figure out how to make this whole Christianity thing work, pursue Jesus, get to know Him, read the Gospels, pray and seek His face in prayer, but also attend to your heart, which uh, can mean a lot of different things for a lot of people. 
But this is where we come through our, to the spiritual disciplines through a different doorway. Not just you have to do these because God will love you or God won't love you if you don't pray, if you don't read the Bible, if you don't journal, if you don't, uh, if you don't come to church, if you don't, you know, this can just pile on the if you don't and get so heavy. But that's not the point of it. The point is this, all this stuff, being in Christian community, being in small groups of people who are on the faith journey, getting our nose into the, to the Bible to understand the heart of God, praying, all of these things are part of this tending process. And if you're a grassroots long enough, you know that this is deeply in my heart. And so many, many messages are about the tending process. Uh, when, we, when we launch into the fall uh, semester, semester, when we launch into the fall season here uh, in next week, we're gonna be talking about love and not just not just how to love each other, but how love is formed in the hard places. And we're going to go for a, a bit of a season at Grassroots talking about the formation of our heart and how love works, because it's very different than our world wants us to think of it, but, and way more beautiful. So all that to say, uh, whatever you're inspired with today, I invite you to think about, to ponder what's sticking out to you, what's hitting you today. And this invitation into a lifelong pursuit of Jesus into this lifelong tending of our hearts. What does this mean for you? What will it take for you to, to do these things on a regular basis so that you can be an abundant, fruitful human being? That's enough for one day. Uh, every week we bring forward bread and, and juice as a way to respond to what God has done in us. We've prompt ourselves in singing songs and had a lovely reminder of God's heart in marriage today and a reminder of this idea of tending our hearts. Uh, we respond by taking a piece of bread and dipping it into the juice. Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, told his disciples that every time you do this, remember me because it's going to be really easy to forget me. So we do this as often as we can. We take a piece of bread remembering that his body was broken for us. His love was so profound. And we dip it in the juice to remember that his blood was shed for us. His love for us is so profound. So I invite you forward now in the next couple of songs to respond however God inspires. The table is set. And everyone here is welcome.